This is an after school program podcast. Welcome to the Home Studio Hangout Podcast, where we explore what it's like building, running, and working out of a home studio with your hosts, Joshua Mautatuck, Andrew Simmons, and many guests in different areas of the music industry. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, I'm going solo again. However, I have a guest, one of my friends, Greg. Greg has done a lot of cool things, worked with a lot of great artists, and he's one of the few people I know who have been able to work in multiple genres, somehow combine those genres, and then make a path for the future all at the same time. So I'm super excited to get into this. And uh, yeah, welcome to the podcast, Greg. How does it oh. feel being on the home studio hangout? Um, well, I was really hoping the more attractive one of you was going to be on here. But, uh, you know, uh, beggars can't be choosers. Yeah, I mean, you're stuck with me right now. <laughs> Just messing with you, man. I'm so, glad, uh, I'm so glad that we were able to make this work out because... Um, Whenever Drew took time off because he was adjusting to like having a family, uh, I my schedule and everybody I wanted to talk to schedule was like complete opposite. And so I would just like wing episodes on my own at like 11 p.m. Uh, on like either Tuesday or Wednesday and give Drew like an hour to edit it and release it. So... <laughs> I'm pretty excited. I'm talking to you to, tonight, and then I'm talking to Enoch bright and early tomorrow. Ooh, um, that's going to so, be a spicy take. I know. A spicy <laughs> Zoom call. Well, like, I'm also pumped, though, because like, it's one of those things, Like for those who don't know, we, we have a big old group chat with a bunch of us in there. And so we talk every day, and it kind of started because we were all sick of quarantine. And so it was really great getting to know everybody. And uh, at the same time, you're just so used to talking to everybody that you tend to forget, oh, yeah, my friends do a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. And so it's really, really cool, um, you know, thinking about all the stuff that you've done and then thinking about, like, what Enoch's doing right now and the stuff that he's done and then thinking about, like, I need to talk to Mo at some point because he's crazy with everything that he's done. Maybe he's we could even talk to Seth. D.V. Seth Munson. D.V. Meth Sunson. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it's really cool because, like, in a way, I think that we take for granted, like, the experiences that our friends have. And, uh, you know, I'm just really happy to, like, get to take the time and, like, reflect on all that and learn more. So... Oh, absolutely. I mean, I'm, it's one of those things I love doing interviews where I get to, even when it's, you know, like, especially when it's one of my friends, like, there's a lot... We've had, for those of you who, like he mentioned, he, you know, we have a group chat. It all started as actually as a group chat to play Among Us in. If anybody remembers that big old dead meme. But uh, we started, I started that up with like a couple of people. And then suddenly it turned into this gigantic amalgamation of all these people who I'd never met. I think Josh and Drew got added at the same time. I don't remember who added them. And at first I remember being like, oh no, who are these people going to be? And as it turns out, now he's one of my good friends, so it works out. Um, 
it was a 50-50 shot. It's like, okay, is he going to be a jerk? Is he not going to be a jerk? Let's see what happens. And as it turns out, the good 50% won. Yeah, we, we're currently sitting at 17 members, and we've had some come and go, too. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's just been really wild because, like, you know, I've seen Mosho around on forums for what feels like forever, but, like, I never actually talked to him. So that was really cool, just, like, getting thrown into a group chat with him and getting to know him. Enoch and I were, like, just kind of messaging back and forth whenever he ended up adding me, which was really, really cool. And, uh, yeah, it's just kind of funny how that works out. I mean, the, the thing about what I noticed about, like, music in general is you're always worried that, like, the people you're being introduced to are jerks. But for the most part, we're all the same. <laughs> we are it is so weird trying to show that to anybody else like i (laughs) it's one of the things where i think whenever i see people come into forums and they're like really brand new i think a lot of it is a big culture shock to them to see kind of how sarcastic we are and just how very like how much we like blatantly lie to each other where to the point where it's an inside joke for us and because we'll see somebody ask a question like, oh, how do I get vocals that sound like Billie Eilish? And you'll see somebody say something like, oh, put five sound goodizers on it and don't forget to put reverb on your sub bass. And we all know that that's an inside joke and no, none of these new people do. And I'm so happy that it's evolved from where it used to be to that. At the very least, that's like semi-harmless. That, right. like, that's really, st- it's it's stupid, but it's harmless because if they're going to do that and realize that it's not good. When I first started going to forums back in 2011, 2012, before like there was even like Facebook groups that you could really make like that, I used to go to like the like Andy Sneap forums and go around there. And that was just something. I was more of a lurker there, and it was just yeah. a whole thing where it was really a lot more aggressive. Now there's so many resources for people out there that they don't have to go to these kinds of forums if they don't want to, but mm-hmm. it's a really good place to meet up with people and everything. Yeah. Well, I mean, also, like, shout out to Austin for making such a great group and putting, like, his entire life into that group, really, and making sure that it's a great platform because um, I definitely remember that, like, browsing around on you know well it's called gear space now which yeah, is yeah. crazy i wasn't that, i wasn't expecting that lovely change from those people but i remember being on that site in high school and like trying to learn about gear because like i didn't come up i mean you didn't come up in like a traditional studio setting either right no so yeah yeah so we're my... in the same boat where it's like someone can be like oh i have a 64 channel neve xyz console from 1978 and we would just both be like okay cool but like where can i plug in my apollo you, know? uh, you want to hear? You want to hear my very first recording story? Yes. I don't know if I ever told you this. Tell me all about. I, I had my very first instance with ever recording because I tried to record myself using various different methods. Like I would record onto like my old tape recorder back in the day. I had one mm-hmm. of those ones from Radio Shack where you could like pop in a disc and record and do that. But my first experience recording in what I guess would be considered a studio setup was that I. Um, I grew up in a little town in Texas called Pampa. It's right outside of Amarillo. It's a town of about 10, 15,000 people. And there was this coffee shop that was on our main our main road. And inside that coffee shop was also a recording studio because the guy who was married at the time to the woman who owned the coffee shop also was a musician. 
So I asked him how, about recording and all of that. So I, at the time, was big into playing jazz music. I was big into thinking I was going to be a singer-songwriter. And I went in and literally played, like, shred guitar over jazz standards off of, like, a Jamie Aversall backing track. Then went in and recorded all the instruments myself. I didn't punch anything in. There was no tuning. I don't even know if the guy actually mixed it or processed it. And then he gave those songs to me, and I had them. I think I paid, like, $150 for, like, a couple hours of time to do that and did everything in, like, one shot. And after that experience, I told myself that I was never going to let anybody else ever record me ever again because I didn't like the way that it went down. Now, that's not to say that he didn't serve his purpose in whatever my artistic journey was, which was to, you know, give me a lesson in, okay, maybe maybe vet your recording engineer first. Maybe make sure that they know what they're doing first before you shell out money. Because 18-year-old me, 150 bucks, that's like a lot of money for me at the time. Yeah, dude. I, I love that you said that it made you never want to be recorded again because... I always think that, like, I work with a lot of, like, new artists, so I'll sit there and, you know, uh, like, you know, we were talking about how we could be very sarcastic, right? And so part of the way to tell somebody that they're doing a terrible job is by getting pretty sarcastic with them, you know, and kind of digging into them a bit and also being really, really encouraging. But whenever you're working with a new artist... I, that's always been my biggest fear. And I always say that I never want to be the reason why somebody doesn't make music again. And so, you know, that first session with somebody, it's always very, very like, you know, like I basically put them in a padded room and give them like a hand crafted blanket that I made because like, <laughs> I'm so scared of hurting their feelings, you know? And, it's, um, yeah, yeah it's what, that's I mean, crazy. it's one of those things where like we, we sort of occupy a unique position in, the business of music, I guess, if you want to call it that. I still struggle with thinking about it as a business because all of this feels so fun to me that I can't imagine sullying it up with money. It's hard for me to sort of do that. I was explaining to a mentor of mine earlier that I'm like, dude, I'm a flower child with a laptop. I have such a hard time asking for money. But the thing about where we sit as like the where do like where the music producer sits in all of this in in terms of like you know the cycle of how music is made the producer holds a really unique position in the sense that they're having to wear multiple hats at once in terms of not even just i have to be an instrumentalist i need to be a mixing engineer i need to have a critical ear for parts i need to be a good arranger all that kind of stuff you also have to kind of play counselor and you have to sort of either feed or destroy someone's ego Whenever they're in the studio with you, you know, you get someone who comes in and they're nervous and they're like, oh, I don't know what to do. It's like, no, nah, just do it again. Like, even if it's very clinical, like when I remember we actually did have a recording session for a band I was in and I remember seeing that the guy was super clinical and it was the best thing he could have done, which was say, all right, let's try one more time. Yep. OK, let's give me one more. OK, come on. Give me one more. No, he never once said, oh, that was terrible. Oh, that was horse shit. Oh, quit. Quit singing. It was always, no, just come on, give me one more. Just give me one more, one more. It's always very encouraging. It's yeah. like a trainer at the gym. Right. And just like when you, you think you can't bench another one, you, he gets, says, give me another one, and you do. Yeah, and like that's, it's funny that you put it that way because like, I noticed there's like, my, like the first session I ever did, it was just like, 
okay, yeah, I mean, like, okay, well, it's like, it, it was sort of not that great, so if you could maybe just, like, do it again, but better, and, like, <laughs> nobody knows what better means. No. <laughs> better doesn't exist, you know? So, um, you know, now, like, I kind of have, like, a checklist that I go down, you know? And so, like, the first one was is, hey, why don't you try singing that more, like, X, Y, and Z? Or, hey, have you heard this song? You know that part where they sing it like that? Try it. Try to go like that more, you know? Or, you know, after that, it's then, you know, trying to relate to their emotions, you know? Right. Giving them the whole, as an artist, you're an actor, you know? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And then after that, it's, all right, just give me another one. Just give me another one. Because you aren't giving them time to think in between. And a lot of times what happens is, is people just get so in their head about what they're doing that they're overthinking it. So just getting them to like react is a lot of times way better than, you know, really picking everything apart. Oh yeah. For us, like I growing up in like the where in where I was in music, like listening to a lot of like jazz and playing in a lot of jazz ensembles, you hear lots of really interesting words to describe music, you yeah. know. So that was where I would kind of go is I it's weird because like I use these words to describe music and you would probably know exactly what I mean. But trying to explain it to anybody who doesn't do it, it's really hard. So if I say, oh, put some stank on that. Oh, that needs more beef. Like, come on, give me a little make it make it a little bit more crunchy. Give me a little growl. You know what that means because you've been recording and making music for a long time, much like I have. If I was to be like, oh, man, those guitars were beefy, like people who don't listen to music are going to be like, what are in the world are you talking about? And that's the same thing that I kind of think about whenever I'm structuring tracks, whenever I'm putting them together. I'm like, man, this needs to hit like a this needs to hit like a brick wall. Like this needs to be like the face puncher. Like there there's these little things about it that um, I, I learned about this when I was doing a lot of work for sync, like writing for TV and film was that you have to translate what a producer wants, which they could say something even as ambiguous as I, this, this needs to feel more purple. This song does not feel purple enough for this scene. And you have to go, okay, I don't know what you mean, but yeah. I am somehow going to make this guitar part sound more purple yep. just for you. <laughs> or um, I, I think one of my favorite terms that I said, and uh it was whenever like Sam and I were working on something and it was very much like a, um, kind of just run down feeling indie track. And I was like, it needs to sound more dusty. And yes. <laughs> he looked at me and I was like, do you not know what I mean? He goes, no, I know exactly what you mean. Why have I never thought to say dusty when I want something to sound like this. And then we made it sound dusty. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, uh, like, would, and that's what I do when I'm composing too, is like, I've told you guys this before in our, in our group chat is that I'll, I'll tell them like, look, I had this idea for a scene in my head. Cause when I write a lot of what I try to do, and you kind of mentioned like what I do with like melding genres a lot, a big thing that I try to do is I want to take the feeling of what some one thing gives me and turn it into something else. So I want to take the excitement of electronic music and I want to put that in country music, which is where I'm at right now. So I imagine scenes in my head. Like there was one that I did where I was, I think I was coming in here to work one night and my wife was getting ready to go to bed. And 
she was looking at her phone and the way that the blue light from her phone was like shining on the wall just immediately painted this big picture for me. And I was like, and I remember thinking that I'm like, oh no, I'm going to have to write a song that makes me think about like this exact moment in time with a blue light shining, like the reflection of my wife's silhouette on the wall. And I did, and I wrote it and it's not cut yet. So there's, there's that. I did the thing though. It's it's never about, sometimes it's not about the end. It's about the process. That's a big part of like what we do is like loving the process of it. It can't be for anything else you want. And you're looking and, and like that, that comes into like everything that we do. Like you're really, really great at sound design because you love the process. You know, like yeah. I watch you work and like working with Greg is crazy because he'll be like, we're like, okay, build the track. And then like, he'll start building the track and then he has to give you a lesson on everything that he's doing because he loves the process that much. And I've learned more just by watching you work for what, 20 minutes until a song's done. And <laughs> then I have from any amount of, youtube videos or classes or anything like that because you just love the process and um that's something that is really interesting to me is you know like i just got this new mic which still has a broken shock mount so shout out to jay-z for just ignoring me but um it's rough i at first i hated the mic i really did because i was so used to my cheaper slate mic and so i um really sat down the other day and I was like, you know what? I just need to love the process of figuring this mic out. So I spent like probably three hours just messing with different EQs, different saturation, different everything just to figure out what I like best on this mic. And then I figured it out and it's really, really weird. And I, um, you know, I, I think that even whenever we don't love the process, if we just get into that mindset of, I need to love this process, then you're going to get better. Because I almost sent back a perfectly good microphone just because it was a little bright on my voice specifically. And now I love the mic. (laughs) It's just one of those things like I I had a teacher when I was at one point going to college who loved to talk about the idea of happiness. And his idea of happiness stemmed from what they like to call the flow state, which Mm. for your, your viewers out there who don't know what this is, the flow state is essentially what happens when you are hyper-focused on something that you are both equally interested in and good at, and you are in a mode where you are doing just that. So for example, for any of you elite gamers out there, if you've ever gone in and played Call of Duty, and the next thing you know, you look up and five hours has passed, and you've just been steady crushing it, you know, that's what a flow state is. For me, My flow state is I come and I sit down and I'm either sitting down with the express purpose of I am making sounds and I am finding tones or I am writing, arranging, composing, and then it will feel like no time has passed. And the next thing I know, I look up and four hours has gone by and I now have a track. It's it's very bizarre to sort of explain to anybody who's never really delved into like the psychology of the flow state about like how that process works. Yeah. But I do it and I look up and I'm like, Oh, did I just hallucinate a track? What happened? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, like when you're really tired on your way to work and like you blink and you're in the parking lot and you're like, how did I get here? It's I almost don't know like what happened. I hallucinated myself. Here. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's a, 
it's really something um really it's really just something <laughs> it's hard to explain if you've never really experienced it but that's something that i would encourage people who are into making music that or into any kind of creating at all that you need to figure out what it is puts you in your flow state there are yeah. ways to sort of you can't just be like oh flow state like that doesn't happen like that you have to make yourself comfortable in an environment that's conducive to doing that and sometimes there's a ritual that goes along with it for me it's that i get i put my children to bed and then me and my wife will sit and we'll talk for a little bit about our day and everything and she'll she'll go to sleep i'll tell her good night i'll come in here and a lot of times i'll either have like a rock star or a cup of coffee and i'll crack it open i'll sit down put my headphones on and i'll open up my daw depending on what kind of project i'm working on and then it's literally just like the the second that I push something on my drum pad or my keyboard, it's on. Like I'm there in flow state and I just go and I don't think about anything that is not ultimately intuitive to the process of whatever I'm trying to accomplish. Yes. And I think that's, that that's the most yeah. important part is not pulling yourself out of it. Um, I would end up having a great idea and I would be working in Cubase and then before you know it I'm mixing my idea that isn't even finished yet so I started using Ableton so now in Ableton I know that I am just going to work on chords and melodies that's it there's no crazy sound design happening literally running off of presets I just loaded in all of my favorite go-to chord progressions all of my favorite drum sounds, a bunch of drum patterns that I use. And then that way I'm able to just drag in these clips and modify them a little bit and then move on to the next idea so that I could just hurry up, grab the mic, record a melody, export it all, put it into Cubase, and then produce a track. Yeah. And like for me, I've, I've, been, I've been doing this lately because I've been so focused on writing. I downloaded this app on my phone called Klimper. And I've been using this for the last few months, and they don't sponsor me or endorse me, um, but they could if they're watching. Um, <laughs> it's this app called Klimper, and what it does is it um, cr shows you every chord that's available in a key that's all diatonic. So you can pick a key, you can pick a tempo, and you can drag and drop chords up there, but it also shows you all the tonal variations. Mm. So, for example, let's say I want to write a song in the key of A, and I'm going to write a 4-1-5-6 in the key of A. So I'm doing D, A, E, F sharp minor. Well, that's boring. So I can take that and say, I want a D major seven going into an A six over nine all the way through. And that helps me to develop better chord voicings. It helps me to develop voice leading. I can take that, export the MIDI, drop it right into where I'm at, drag in a piano, and then just start going. And a lot of times that's where it'll come from. That. I would like to say that I'm some kind of like, prodigy like how charlie puth is where he can like sing in an entire melody idea into his phone i feel so stupid doing that that i just don't do it so i just use climper instead i've tried it and i uh it's just not my thing because like you know it's funny you brought that up because literally two nights ago maybe it was even last night I don't, everything's a blur i went through all of my voice notes that i've had in there for like the past two three years and i didn't like a single one of the ideas <laughs> It's hard because it's like people, and this is something else I'll encourage people to watch this, find a, the thing that helps you capture inspiration. Find the one thing. You know, for me, that's Klimper. For other people, it's voice notes. For some people, it's writing down things. I know a lot of my writer friends, like my pure writer friends is what I call them because they're writing and not trying to pursue an artist career. 
they use like notes on their phone and they're constantly just like writing down ideas. You have to find that one thing that helps you to capture inspiration like instantaneously, you know, so and I, I it's it's funny. I hear a lot of people having to like do things like that. But for me, I, um, I, I think whenever I was younger, I would get so stressed out about like always thinking about music and stuff like that. And I would have these ideas and I couldn't work on them because I was like at my day job and I was like getting frustrated. And so I finally came up with a solution, which was, I am going to force myself to not worry about these things until I'm able to sit down and work on them. And it just kind of stuck. And now like, you know, I could be out at the movies and, you know, nothing really, nothing really ever pops into my head. But like whenever I sit down at my computer, like it's time to work. And like my biggest pieces of inspiration always happen while I'm just writing. And that's rad. Um, I like watching, I, I just got the Lewis Bell course and I'm getting caught up on it currently. And, uh, at first I thought he was a little crazy with him just like humming and faking words to make melodies. And then he would like take multiple takes and then he would like piece together these melodies that he liked without words. And then he would fit words in. Mm-hmm. And so I know that a lot of people do that, and I just never thought it was for me because, you know, I just never, I guess I just never really tried hard enough. And still, I'm not the best at it because typically I'll be sitting there and, like, I'll hear one word, and, like, that word is where the song starts, you know? Oh, yeah. And um, I started just doing it that way. And I feel like I'm now, like, I feel like I just leveled up. Like, I just found, like, I just went, I just found the secret hallway that took me down, and I opened up the chest, and there was a double XP token in there, and I picked up that double XP, and it was, like, level 24. <laughs> like. That's awesome. Yeah, and then the Xbox logo came up, and it was, like, achievement. Achievement and, um, unlocked. Yeah. Better songwriter. <laughs> yeah. And, um. That was really wild to me because I love the idea of just being like finding chords that inspire you and then just doing whatever feels like it's second nature to you until you find melodies that inspire you. And then you try different words. Me and my guys have done entire rights based off of nothing but melody. So like I'll bring a track in with like no anything like I'll show them the track. But then they'll come in and they'll be like, oh, I have this melody idea. They're like, you know, and then we'll write the whole song of the, with the melody like that. And then it's like, OK, time to put words in there. Like it, that happens so often. It's like there's a big difference, especially in town. There are people who are like lyric writers and then there are people who are melody and like vibe writers. And yeah. I, I fit really squarely into that vibe thing. I'm constantly like, where is the spot? that like where do i where do how do i want this to make me feel because a big part of what we do here at least with the people that i'm writing with we're thinking about the live show where it's like how do what do i want people to be doing during this song do i want them to be slow dancing do i want them to be you know shaking their asses in the front row do i want them to be like slightly bobbing their head like they're at a radio rock concert you know there's tons of different feelings that we want to capture and we want to also you know spin that emotional yarn of like do i want people to feel sad do i want people to feel caught off guard do i want people to feel happy you know there's a lot of different 
responsibilities as a songwriter that you kind of have to to do those sorts of things. And for me, the best way to do it is very much like that. I only do it in the room with them. I can't do it like on my voice memos or anything because, I, like I said, I feel so stupid doing yeah. it. I've done it a couple times, but... Yeah, I definitely feel that because I feel like I would hear a melody and so I would just keep repeating that melody until I figured out the words, but then you often lose that melody. Mm-hmm. And so, like, actually just, like, recording those, like, primal noises, like, it really does go a long way. And so I'm going to have to keep writing that way. I oh, definitely, yeah. um, it's funny that you mentioned there's people who are, like, vibrators versus, like, lyrics. And it's crazy, like you look at some of these credits and there's like a ton of writers on a track and it hasn't been until like recently that I realized how versatile I am as a writer. But at the same time, like it's so much easier whenever you only have to be one piece of the puzzle, you know, like I remember Grant called me one night and he was like, dude, I need help with this song. And so he was doing the melodies and then I was filling in the words and we like hashed out a song over like a FaceTime call and like that was one of those moments where i was like i didn't write a single melody and like the song is crazy good because of the lyrics fitting with the melody and like that like collaborative spirit of being able to just like everybody handles one thing is like such a powerful thing and it, it's something I, I that and i'm just going to go ahead and say this as sort of a spicy take for any metalheads who might watch your your podcast you all need to get over the fact that songs can have more than one writer and you can all get over the fact that sometimes bands and artists will seek outside help in order to write a good song because guess what? They've been doing it for a really long time. All of them have. You think Elvis sat down and wrote every single song that he ever did? Think the Eagles weren't having extra writers who came in and helped them? Yeah. No. You all need to get over it. I'll tell you, there's been plenty of times I've sat in a room and I've been just the track guy. I brought the idea in. I brought the vibe in. I maybe contribute a little bit of the melody. There's been a couple times that it's like, what am I doing here? Like, I feel like I'm doing nothing, but I did just as much as anybody else. You know, now don't get me wrong. I start seeing eight, nine writers on a track and I start going, okay, now wait a minute. Like... what's going on here the only (laughs) i i could get it whenever there's like a lot of producers you know because it's like you just keep sending the session back and everybody's adding something and like sometimes it's just that one little moment that like makes a song 10 times better you know i'll tell you this the last time that i saw that that i actually justified this to somebody because of course i saw this in a facebook group people complaining oh why does this song have so many writers on it why does this on what happened to the days whenever people did everything themselves? And I'm like, newsflash, none of them did. More yeah, those days never existed <laughs> now than ever. I'll give you a really good example. So Sam Hunt had this song called Hard to Forget. It's that one that's like, uh, your cold heart and the cold hard truth. I got a bottle of whiskey, but I got no proof. Like that song. It features a it features a sample at the beginning from a song called There Stands the Glass. It's a very old country song. And they used the original sample in that song. So in order to use that sample, they credited the three songwriters on that track. The guy who came up with the original idea for the track, like, as it was, got credited. That's four. Then you bring in Sam and his producer, Zach. That's now six. Then you bring in two more superstars, which is Shane McNally, Ashley Gorley, 
That's eight. And then there's somebody else who came in on that. That's nine. There are nine writers on that song. And, you know, it's completely justified. It's a great song. Everybody had a part in it. You know, people want to use the meme of like Beyonce's run the world as having like, oh, it has eight writers on it. Why does it have eight writers? I'm like, are you just mad because you don't have a song that's anywhere near as good as that? Like, what's your problem? Yeah. Well, I think what it is, is it's like, oh, well, I could do better. It's like, well, then why haven't you? That's like that TikTok sound. Yeah. <laughs> then do it. Don't yeah, don't then do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. Like. Oh, and that's man. What, I just I get I used to, I'm not gonna lie like I think most of the people who we converse with and the people we associate with we're exactly like that I used to be such a hater I was that guy Mr. That oh guy. why can't I why is everybody else doing this I could do that and then you start trying to do it and you realize how freaking hard it is yeah like, man I um I had that conversation with Rob he, he was kind of laughing because I was like so I finally made my own playlist because I've never been like a playlist maker. I would just listen to random playlists or I'd listen to random artists or whatever. And so I finally made a playlist of like all of my favorite songs right now. And I posted it in this discord and I was just like, man, this is crazy because like 15 year old Josh would be so disappointed. And Rob was like, dude, I don't even, I can't even imagine what your reaction would be like. And that blew my mind because like when i was younger i really thought i was going to mix metal records forever and now like i don't even want to touch a metal project i just don't i don't blame you uh 15 year old me would probably not believe it 15 year old me thought that i was going to be living in new york playing on jazz records until you realize that there's only like five jazz guitarists in the entire country and they're all playing on the same records (laughs) I, I, I'm only sort of kidding. The session musician is a thing that's very much like sort of, I won't say dying out, but it is something that's becoming less and less needed as VSTs get better and as people have better recording capabilities in their homes. Yeah. Unless you play some kind of really niche instrument really, really well, it's harder to find work as like, I'm a session guitarist, I'm a session drummer, I'm a session bassist. It's like, dog, I can replace drums. I can program drums. I have bass plugins, you know. that's It's sort of a double-edged sword of like, I love whenever I see people who play those really well, but the art of the session musician and the status and prestige that that comes with is very much like going by the wayside a little bit in the age of like modern producer writers, you know, at least for me, it has. I've never felt bad about it. One of my projects that I had, I had, uh, I had this project. I had this project back in 2016. It was called Kill Process, and it was this industrial electronic metal band where I played all the instruments and I did all the sound design, all the mixing, all the mastering. And it was this augmented reality idea that I had, where it was going to be. You know, like a, it's like there's bands that do concept albums. This was a concept band where it was like there was a story that was going to run in parallel with the real world and it was going to be augmented reality. Way too big for my britches because I did not know how much logistical planning that would have taken and how much money I would have had to spend in order to fully flesh that out. Yeah. But I remember that was the first time I started messing with MIDI guitars. Because I remember people on metal forums getting mad when I told them that I would program the bass or program the drums. And I was like, okay, well, screw you. I'm going to program the guitars, too. And I almost bought a Vocaloid so that way I could just program the vocals, too. And just really just make everybody mad. Because 
I don't. It's that same thing. I tell people the same thing. It's very interesting how there's parallels between the the rock and metal communities and the EDM communities, where the rock metal guys are like, if it's not through a Marshall four by ten, then it ain't shit. And then on the EDM side, it's if you don't make your own sounds and everything from scratch, then you're shit. It's like, dude, the gatekeeping needs to stop. Like the all of that, all that nonsense. Like if you think like that, like do me a favor, go. Find the quietest room in your house and go sit in the corner and think about what you did. Because <laughs> think about what like, you did. <laughs> I'm, dude, you're not wrong. Like, I don't know. I feel like that kind of stuff is limiting. It's like if you're not good at it, then like it's okay to take shortcuts because like songs that are finished are better than songs that aren't finished. And, and this like, is something that we talked about. We were talking about a little bit before we went on the air. I. I am of the mindset that I feel like anybody who wants to create anything should just be allowed to create without yeah. any kind of limit or with any out anybody kind of trying to stop them or dissuade them or whatever. So I saw it was I was watching, believe it or not, I was listening to a demo track from a sample pack that I'm going to be probably picking up within the next month or two. And there was somebody on there who was like, well, I, I like listening to this. I don't make music, but I could see how this could be cool. And someone was like, oh, well why don't you try making music? It's really fun. And he was like, I don't know. I've heard people say that if you get into producing music, that it affects how you hear music in a negative way. Yeah, it does. I was like, dude, like, first of all, whether that's true or not is a moot point because you're not, I'm not about to take somebody else's truth as my reality where people would said the same thing about me. Like, Oh, well, if you listen to this loud, aggressive, angry music, you're going to end up really loud, angry, and violent. I'm like, okay, maybe that's your truth. That's not mine. Mm-hmm. Second of all, like, that's what I mean. These kind of limiting ideals of like, you know, and this is more of like a bigger, like 10,000 foot perspective kind of thing. I just don't like whenever I see a bunch of people who are telling other people why they shouldn't do something or right. giving them impossible prerequisites in order to create you know if you want to make if you want to make dubstep with the sound of you like smacking your butt cheeks together like you go ahead and do it i don't care what you make because the collective consciousness of ideas is it needs to keep it needs to be fed in order to keep us all inspired yeah that's just what it is it's one of those things where it's like i i hope that somebody responded to that guy and was like you know what yeah you might you might not enjoy music at the same way that you do right now but if anything like 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 <laughs> Madeline thinks I'm crazy because I put on Young Thug the other night and now like Young Thug isn't like this visionary songwriter in my opinion but that dude knows how to vibe over a beat and the mixes that Baines did on it are just unreal and so oh, yeah. I was listening to uh, I think it's called Diamond Dancing. I was listening mm-hmm. to that song and I was like, "This mix is unreal. That low end is so clear." And then Travis Scott's feature comes in and the vocals are just so perfect. And she's just looking at me like I'm crazy. She's like, "You don't even like hip hop that much." <laughs> I'm like, "Yeah, okay. Like, you know, I I loved Mac Miller, loved the old Earl Sweatshirt stuff. Like, I like hip hop, but it's pretty rare that I just like pull out a flat out hip hop record and listen yeah. to it. And like, you know, some people I know who are like, you need to check this record out. And now like, I can't stop listening to it because I adore it. Even if I don't enjoy the songs that much, I'm at least just loving how the mix itself makes me feel, you know, like whenever the low end is hitting 
just right with the kick, you're like, I want to smack my head off of my steering wheel because it's that great. <laughs> you know? And, oh, I know what you mean. Right. Like, you know, that's something that, like, every music producer gets. You know? Or, um, you know, I, I was listening to Jet Ski by Internet Money on repeat. That's, like, one of my favorite songs ever. And there's nothing profound about those lyrics, but, like, everything they did on that song hits just right. And it's another one of those things where it's, like, I love the mix. I love the composition. The melodies are so great. And, like, I, I just want to go party. You know, and like, I think people like really, really overthink the idea of like creating art because, you know, everything has to be like this super profound moment of history. And it's just like, Um, mm -hmm. sometimes all I want to do is like listen to a song and play flip cup, you know? I was just about to say that, that I think, I think historically people have gotten the perception of what music means to the greater population twisted. So this especially happens with the older generation of music makers. Um, And it's not to like be ageist or anything like that. But what I will say is that there's this sort of um, there's this wall that is sort of gone between like, you know, as you get older, there is going to be a point for a a lot of people, especially people who aren't musicians. They're going to get to a point where they're going to stop looking for new music because they're like, that's it. I don't, I'm not going to dedicate time to finding new things that I like. I'm going to stick with the old things that I like because that's the stuff I like. I don't want to invest the time and effort into finding new music. The problem is, is that people want to treat the things that they liked when they were younger as these sort of very profound and very deep things like oh they don't make music like they used to and oh music was better back in this day and whatever and i'm like that's maybe kind of true ish not really i guess i mean it depends on what perspective you're talking about if you're talking about from a songwriting perspective songs have always been about anything and everything under the sun i mean we're talking the idea that like art imitates life So when things are great, people are writing great songs. When things aren't great, people are writing not particularly great subject matter songs. You know, the songs from the 80s, everybody likes to tout the 80s as like this really great era of pop music. And it really is. However, 80s metal, totally different perspective where we have songs like Cherry Pie, where the song was written on the back of a pizza box in 20 minutes by the lead singer of Warrant because his manager told him there's not a hit on this record. And that was the song that ended up defining them was Cherry Pie. And you don't, you cannot tell me that there is some kind of deep-seated meaning in She's My Cherry Pie. Like, come on, dude. Like, uh, all these... That's my it, thing is there's these people so get it twisted level. that sometimes... I don't want to if I want to listen to deep, profound music, I'm going to listen to Pat Metheny. I'm going to listen to Kurt Rosenwinkel. I'm going to listen to Bill Evans. I'm going to listen to Pliny or I'm going to listen to Steve Vai. But if I there's sometimes I don't want to do that. Sometimes I want to crank up, tear out dubstep as loud as I possibly can in my car so that I rattle windows at the stoplight. It's it's a big thing where I think a lot of people miss out on a lot of really interesting emotional opportunities for themselves because they limit the aesthetic of what they listen to. You know, there's yeah. a lot of people who've said that about what I do, where, you know, I remix country songs into EDM songs. And there's a, people like you who've said, hey, I would listen to more country music if country music sounded like this. And I'm like, yes, 
then I have done my job. And right. a lot of people have said that. And that's the whole thing. I'm like, it's all the same. You know, we especially when it comes to country music, people think, oh, people write country music or people make country music or listen to it, bunch of backwood hicks or whatever. I'm like, nah, man, we're not like that anymore. It's not like you don't have to like have like a buckle that you won from the rodeo and like six cows in order to write country songs anymore. We're getting people who leave these stories from all over the country, all over the world, who come together to write these stories and write these songs. And I feel like brushing it off as like, oh, I don't like that because it's whatever, is doing yourself such a disservice, yeah. you know? I'll and listen like, to I, anything. doesn't I, mean I got to vibe with it, but I'll listen to damn near anything. Yeah, if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't like country music. You're like, welcome. Pop country is the best thing in the world. It's so good. I don't and think it, people realize just how hard it is to write songs that have an impact like that. I didn't realize it until I started writing with people who are actually really good writers. So, I mean, the first time I sat down to write with my normal crew that I write with, I was so concerned because I was like, oh, no. Like, what are we going to write about? Because, like, you, you hear songs like, um, you know, Crash My Party by Luke Bryan or, you know, um, songs by Jason Aldean or Dan and Shay. And you wonder, like, how do they come up with these ideas? You know, and how do you write something like that without it feeling kind of cheesy or feeling like a cornball a little bit? And when but when you're in that moment, it just it just something just feels right you know it's no different than like the songs that we've written together where it's like you know this just feels right i'm gonna ride this out for as long as i can you know and we're gonna just roll with it because again not every song has to be some groundbreaking piece of like tearjerker literature it, it can just be a song about nothing you know, yeah. we can just be a song about like, hey, I just like I really like drinking beer on the back of my tailgate with my friends and hanging out around a fire. It yeah. doesn't have to be anything. Right. And like, I, I think like there's also like the whole side of it where the feeling that you get whenever you listen to a certain song means more than the words itself. Oh, absolutely. You know, and like, I feel like, you know, growing up in metal, I, I like totally look past that, you know, because you're always looking for like that deeper meaning. Like, oh, they put so much time and effort into this. And, uh, and it's like, no, like now, like literally my favorite song, the hook is now they're trying to ride a wave like a jet ski. Like, <laughs> and guess what? I'm trying to ride that wave, too, because it is a great wave to ride on. But <laughs> You know, I, I just think that a lot of people limit themselves with how in their head they get over these things. Well, first um, of all, music's not that serious. I'm just going to, I mean, I know that's a hot take, but I'm sorry. Music doesn't, music can be as, it's like Schrodinger's art form. It can be as serious or as whimsical as you would like it to be. There are people who dedicate years upon years of their lives to composing these fantastic compositions where it's this sprawling soundscape of different textures and meanings and these amazing sorts of found sounds and foley and they turn it into these incredible things and then there's somebody who's been using fl studio for like a month who just wants to make trap beats on his phone yeah i don't i don't it's it's amazing how that works it Did doesn't I ever tell have you about to be the... anything deep like you need to tell me that every song i've ever made has been like some deep soul searching thing no like, I, I literally am working on a song right now that is called Gas Station Glasses. Like, I had that title, 
And I was yes. like, I'm working on this right now. And like, what could this mean? And I already know what the song is going to be about. But I was like, that's such a silly sounding title. Why would I do that? Gas station sunglasses. Everyone can relate to it because everybody been in a gas station and saw the gas station sunglasses. Exactly. And, and like just, everybody bought those on their way to Warp Tour or maybe they bought them on their way to vacation. Like everybody yeah, can relate to gas station sunglasses. You didn't give a shit that you lost them either because you're like, oh, no, what will I ever do with those $7 glasses that I lost? Right. It, it was never 5 bucks. It was never 10 It was always six ninety nine. Uh huh. Six ninety nine. And it had, they weren't called Oakleys. They were called like Rocks or something like that. R-O-K-Z yeah. or something yeah. like that. Um, <laughs> man, I had a great thought. And then, it, oh, yeah. So <laughs> speaking of that, first time I ever saw a, a real Picasso in person I was at the L.A. County Art Museum with Madeline, and so we went through, like, this crazy cool exhibit where it was just this graphic designer who was like, I'm going to do an entire, I don't know what that's called. It's a big room filled with their work. Is that an exhibit? Is that what they call uh, it? Exhi- exhibit, yeah, gallery probably. Yeah, so it, it was like, you know, you go up the stairs, and then there's just this one corner. It has all these different fonts saying different words and, like, it was just really cool because, like, for those who don't know, my girlfriend, she's a graphic designer, and I never really got it. And, like, going through and, like, looking at all this, I was like, wow, yeah, that's actually really cool. Like, I think I kind of understand, like, the art behind graphics and fonts and stuff like that. And then so we go to another exhibit, and it's, like, all this cool stuff from Asia and, like, really old stuff. And then there's this massive, probably 30 feet by, like, 15 feet long and it's a sculpture made out of just cigarettes that they just set up and as you walked around it it would look like different things crazy then we find the picasso (laughs) and so like we're going through and like we're the worst at museums because like we both really like art but then like we also don't understand it which is like still great because like it's art right you're not supposed to understand it so we're going from like photo to photo or sorry, painting to painting. <laughs> they aren't photos. And I turn the corner and I look up and there is just this really crazy abstract, what looks like male genitalia just staring at me. And I'm like sitting there laughing and I'm like poking Maddie, like trying not to make a scene because like there's a lot of people around us who like really care. And I'm like, babe, get a load of this. Like somebody called this art. <laughs> And then, like, she looks down, and she's like, that says Picasso. And I said, that says what? And I looked. <laughs> it was a Picasso. I'm sitting there laughing at it. Oh, One of no. the most profound artists to ever grace this earth. And I was sitting there laughing at it. And what's funny, though, is that it still made me feel something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, like, it served its purpose. Like, that's all art is supposed to do. I will I will forever look upon that moment and realize that like if somebody that famous could have an idiot like me walk in and laugh at their work then everybody should be making art. <laughs> exactly. You know? Well, like it's no different than like I mean it's it's one also one of those things where it's like people are only going the only people who are really going to appreciate that to the fullest extent of whatever it is are people who have committed themselves to being the kind of person who can experience that and feel something 
you know, I, I know there's a term for this. It's the same kind of people who love using Reaper and swear by using Reaper constantly. Even like, though yes, it takes them 20 minutes longer to do one thing, despite it, all the scripts that they spent hours writing. Yeah, like, don't get me wrong. Like, Reaper is good for making music. If that's what you it's, have available to you, use it to make music. But these people who swear up and down that it's like the next coming of God, and that I'm like, it's really, like, not. It's just a daw. And then they'll tell you, because they've committed themselves to being like, this is the best thing ever. I'm going to tell everybody about it. Doesn't matter what kind of music you make. That's what you need to be using. It's the same thing with people who are really into Linux, because if yeah. you're like, if you, because I'm into Linux because I'm an IT guy by day and I, I totally get why you would use it. I don't use it as my daily driver. I use a Mac because I just want things to be easy. And the other one that I can think of is people who are really into Android. Like I, we, it's like, look, do we get it? Your Android has like a 500 kajillion megapixel camera. Whoopee, big deal. It still looks bad. (laughs) iPhone still has 85% of the market share. Get over it. It's not going to be any better. Like, you know what I mean? Like what I love about that. that. Right. And like a lot of people kind of just like take that idea because like they want to feel different. So they'll hit you with like, oh, well my Android, like I can control my computer. And I'm like, why would you need to do that? And they're like... Well, I don't know, but I can. I'm like, okay, cool. Can I text you a video right now? And they're like, no. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's like just because you can doesn't mean you should. I mean, and that sort of stuff, like when it comes back to like thinking about it in the studio space, this is something that I've noticed with. It's it's constant and it's everywhere. (laughs) Well, I've noticed with people who like are beginners that they always want to know because people ask me this, like, well, how did you figure out how to make your, your music sound like this? I'm like, it's. There, I'll tell you this, there is no shortcut for learning how to develop taste and right. learning how to develop an ear. So when I first started making EDM, my very first remix of a song that I ever did was back in 2017. And it was called, uh, it was a song by a Canadian artist who I cannot remember her name right now, but the song was called Wild Heart. And I had this big naive idea that I was going to make it like this cashmere style orchestral electro house track. As it turns out, I don't know dick about making orchestral electro house. I didn't know anything, and I still submitted that thing thinking, yeah, I'm awesome. I'm going to do really well. And I was very sorely um, upset that I did not make the top three, even though that is the very first fully electronic track that I had ever made. And it was a matter of like from that point it was i need to develop my taste i need to figure out what it is about this that i like so much it doesn't have to be about learning the proper way to record things because that wasn't what i was doing you don't even really have to know that as long as you can figure out a way to fix it it's just a matter of developing the right taste and developing the right sensibilities for what you want to do right you know? and then finding the quickest way to get to what's in your head to now what's playing through your speakers, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people overcomplicate that and uh, do weird things. Like, I, I spent so much time just using the bare minimum. It wasn't until, like, this year that I actually started buying a lot of things. Um, I bought new speakers, and then my mixes sounded way... Like, my mixes are to the point where I like to mix music now because I was on speakers that didn't make sense with my brain. And it's like, okay, well, I fixed that and I was wasting money for years because I didn't just buy these ones in the first place. You know, um, 
Same with microphones. Uh, that's been a big thing. It's just like, oh, well, maybe if I just buy a decent microphone, then I'm able to get to the sound I want quicker. Um, and then software. Like, I, I, I went using just, like, janky software for a really long time. Like, not my DAW. Like, I, I learned basically on Studio One, switched to Pro Tools, switched to Cubase. But, um, you know, I actually started investing in more tools and learning how to use them because... If you don't know how to know what, if you don't know how to use this stuff, then it's pointless. So after I did all that, like I feel like I'm way faster. Everything's coming out way better, and uh, it's just like, like you said, there's no shortcuts. There and, isn't, and a thing that I think a lot of people need to realize too is that once you find the thing that you like, once you find the things that allow you to create your art. You need to hold on to that for as long as you freaking can. Yep. I'll give you a really great example of this. So my buddy, Billy Decker, he is a crazy mix engineer here in Nashville. He has mixed like 30 number one records or something like that. He is an insanely good mixer. He has a template that he has been using on every mix for the last like 10 years. And he has not changed it. He has not changed his computer. He is not adding new plugins. He has the same monitoring system. The only thing he's replaced recently in his studio was his TV that sits above his console yep. that he doesn't even use. Yep. So once you find the things that you like and the things that allow you to create your art, you need to stick with them and make as much art as you can. There's a big thing with like FOMO, the idea that like if I don't learn this new thing, then what will I do? How will I keep up with everybody? I'm like, you're if you're doing what you're supposed to do, you're going to be fine. Like when like when Vital came out, a bunch of my friends were like, oh, I got to get Vital because it's supposed to be just like Serum. I'm like, just use Serum then. Just use Serum. I still just use Serum. And then the only synthesizer that came out that I bought that I was like, oh, this is different is Pigments. I just got Pigments. And that is crazy. But guess what? I'm still in Serum for most of the time because I've used it for so long. I still load up the SSL E channel by Pro Tools or uh, Waves. Waves. Because I've been using it for six years now, seven years. I bought that plugin while I was still in high school. The so only like, thing I've added recently was that I bought myself the Variax guitar that I have because now it allows me to track multiple different kinds of sounds. And I love it. That is literally like the only really new thing that I have. Everything yeah, else fundamentally has stayed the same. I don't really buy lots of new samples because I use a lot of the same samples over and over again. You know, I mean, especially when it comes to like a, a genre, like genres that use a lot of electronic based drums, find sets of drums that you like and then use them. Just don't like, cause people are like, Oh, well what about drums for this and this and that? I'm like, dog, you can only replicate the same kind of drum sound so many times. You don't need to be downloading all these friggin' samples. If you make yeah, electronic you music, I'll make money. it real simple. Cashmere Volume 3. Pick that one up. Pick up a Virtual Riot sample pack. And, yeah, that's pretty much it. Get you some MIDI files. Like, go download the Unison pack. I know everybody hates hearing it, but it's really good, so just go freaking download it. Or you can, if you want, you can find me on Facebook or Instagram. I'll send you my MIDI pack that I made. Like, I don't care. I also have a Serum Presets pack. Hit me up. I'll send it to you. Find yeah. the stuff you need, and that's it. Yeah, that's really what it comes down to. Because like I um I, I I just did redid my entire Ableton session because I'm like, well, every single session I keep doing the same thing, 
and then I actually changed up my drum samples just a little bit so then they're closer to what my mixed pro product sounds like because it's like why why am I chasing tones if I could just get them right from the start mm -hmm. and um you know so now I have five different drum kits and those are for like the five different genres that I would do <laughs> you know in my it's studio one simple. session here I have three basic templates i have one that just has my master chain on it i have one that has an easy drummer um preset that i made that i have loaded up and then i have another one that has a battery kit that i like that's loaded up and it yeah. also has all my channels for you know it's got my guitar chain with amplitude and all of my processing i have dobro channels acoustic guitar channels my vocal channels they're all ready to go as soon as I record a sound into that, it is going to sound like it's supposed to sound. Yeah. And all and all these I see a bunch of people who, you know, I get that, you know, that's probably not the way that like a regular mix engineer does it. I totally get that. No, I'm, dude, did I show you Lewis Bell's writing template? You told me about it where it was you said it was like super crazy where it's like he's got every one of his sounds that he could possibly need yeah, loaded he, in all he at has once. it already loaded in and then he'll sit there and activate it and it drives me crazy because i'm like why don't you just like keep a preset folder and whatever i mean like that works for dude he has way more number ones than i ever will but like just figure out what works for you he's he, he'll produce a song and then export it to his 10 year old computer and cut vocals there just because he's like, I don't want to change anything. I'm happy with my vocal sounds. Like, there's certain, like, as you get better, you're going to realize there's certain things that you need to keep growing with. You know, like, yes, get more instruments, get this, get that, because it's going to, you know, like, you know the tools that you reach for. So you know when something's useful. Um, but for the most, I mean, like, before we hopped on this call, Greg and I were talking about how, like, we still use our compressor. Like, I recently just redownloaded it because I was like, I miss our compressor. It's great. People can make a meme out of waves all they want. Their stuff has still stood the test of time. The only thing I had to do recently was I had to upgrade our base because I bought it a long time ago. So I had to upgrade it to the newest version because <coughs> what I found out was that the wave shell that that uses was crashing my DAW. So anytime I would put it on there, like two or three sec two or three minutes later, it would crash. And I was like, what's going on? Look in the crash logs, wave shell version one. I'm like, oh, well, it's $8. Yeah, I, I just re-upgraded so I'm just going to do that. I upgraded, like, something. I upgraded all of gold plus the API set plus the SSL set, and I think it cost me, like, 35 bucks or something like that. Like, it was stupid cheap. And, um, like, there's something to be said about Renaissance EQ and the high-end band because it does the little resonant filter, and, mm -hmm. like, it just sounds so good. Um, we've already been talking for, like, an hour, which is crazy. Uh it's good. Yeah. I mean, I'm about to have to go in a little bit, but I know that, I know that Andrew, I know that he's not in today, but I know that he had a question for me. Can you tell me what it is? Yeah, dude. So Drew wanted to ask you, how are you able to balance your work life, your family life, and then your music life all at once? Because it almost seems like there's like this looming idea that like, if you have a family, like you can't work in this industry. Like it's almost like it's a dream killer. I would say, and this is sort of, this might be sort of an unpopular opinion with some people. Um, I, ever since, well, let me, let me preface it with this. 
I found out that we were pregnant with my first with our first child in 2015. Prior to that, I was not doing anything really serious with music. I played in a band and we had records and we we played and toured, but we were we weren't taking it very seriously. So 2015 rolls around or 2014 rolls around, I meet the woman who will become my who is now my wife. And that was when we found out she was pregnant. And then 2015 was when my oldest daughter was born. So at that point, I really didn't have a process for how this whole thing worked. I, w- I didn't have sort of the, the, the luxury of knowing what my workflow was with producing. I was still very much learning. For me, and this is also testaments that I've heard from friends of mine who are on the road with artists and other writers and producers. When you make music as a family person, there are sacrifices that you have to make. As a musician, there are sacrifices you have to make anyways. You sacrifice having a standard social life because you want to be in your studio making music or you want to be writing. You know, and when you add in having a family, a lot of the, a lot of that dynamic doesn't really change fundamentally. There are still sacrifices that you have to make, but they're just different kinds of sacrifices. So for me, and I don't recommend this for everybody, but I will say that I will tell you how I avoid this afterwards. My morning usually starts around six o'clock when I get up and my kids are up and we get up, we get them dressed, make them breakfast. By seven o'clock, me and my oldest are out the door on the way to her school. After that, I go to my day job because I still do have a day job from eight o'clock until four o'clock. I come home, we hang out, we eat dinner, we play. We, if we, my daughter has homework, we do that. And then they go to bed at eight o'clock and then me and my wife will be up talking and sometimes I'll go to bed. But a lot of times if I have projects to do, I just stay up late. I, I abhor the idea of sacrificing significant amounts of family time during the day so that I can do this. Right. And I would rather sacrifice sleep. I I, I don't think I'm going to look back 20 years from now and be like, man, you know what? In my 30s, I wish I had slept more. Like, give right. me a break. Like, that's- and, and, and you know what? I think it, you're like a rare case because a lot of people can't function by sacrificing sleep. And um, it's really crazy just like watching you kill it because you have a lot of cool stuff going on. And like pretty soon, like you're not going to need a day job anymore. And that's going to be such a huge relief for you whenever you get to wake up and get your kids to school. And then you get to come back home and sit down and turn on your computer and, and just make not music, worry yeah. about the company you work for. And this just is- <laughs> right. And like. I've been, I mean, it's funny because like I'm basically on the same schedule except you replace the family aspect of that and put in more work because my work schedule is so crazy. And, um, you know, I'm getting really, really close to not needing a day job again and I'm super thankful for that. But like, I don't, I think that I'm going to have a lot of issues whenever I quit because like we're so used to just always be doing something. Absolutely. The thing with this is why I sort of hammered home earlier when we were talking about you find your tools that work for you and get your ideas done the fastest, because I'll give you a really good example. So my, I have a buddy named Andy. He wrote a song with this artist here in Nashville. He reached out to me, said, hey, can you do the demo for this track? I'll pay you X amount of dollars. 
And I said, yeah, sure, man, whatever. Well, this is already after because we've had some we've had some stuff pop up with our family recently. I, you know about it. I some stuff with my wife's family, and we had to be out of town, and we're still kind of reeling from that a little bit. So certain things kind of fell behind, where it's like, okay, I have four projects that need to be done, and I need to hurry up and do them because I know my setup and because I know exactly what I want and how to get it done. I was able to knock all that out. I did the demo for this guy's song a couple nights ago. It took me, I started in a completely empty session. Started at like 9.22. I remember that because I looked at the clock. I was like, okay, 9.22. When I, next, time, next time I looked up, it was 1.30. I was listening to the fully mixed mastered project. Yep. Dude, I did the, I did the same thing not too long. Or no, last night, um, Nick and I were going to write together. Um and so, like, he's just like, hey, man, uh, I know it's probably late for you, but, like, what's up? And so I FaceTime him, and, like, we we're talking for, like, a half hour. Like, it's almost midnight at this point. And then I'm like, all right, well, I'm just going to open up Ableton. And, like, I flushed out a complete track in 20 to 30 minutes. And it's like, that's getting pretty quick for me. I, w- I just watched this old YouTube video I put up because I had a bunch of people asking me all about, like, metal sound design. So I, like ran through all that in this youtube video and i watched the whole thing probably last week and the one thing that i learned the most over it isn't that i've gotten faster with cubase or i've gotten faster at editing or anything like that i've gotten faster at making decisions it was hard watching my cursor stand still as i saw my brain was working because i'm like what are you doing just reach for this just do the thing and I think a lot of people get really hung up on hotkeys and stuff like that. While that's all super, super important and you should learn that and get super, super fast, you're not going to get great by working on one song over the course of two months. No. Work on, like, seriously, challenge yourself. If you have one hour of free time every day, set a timer. Last week I wrote a song in an hour because I wanted to challenge myself. And it's one of my favorite songs that I've written. Just set a timer and do it. And then the next week, set a timer for 45 minutes. See if you could do it again, but faster. And like, I think a lot of people just don't understand that like, this is just repetition. You know, we talk about trial and error a lot. You know, like, how did you get the vocal to sound like it? Oh, trial and error. Well, how did you get to be that fast? Oh, well, it's 15 years of trial and error. Yeah, exactly. You know? Well, that's the thing is like when it comes down to this kind of stuff, you know, talking about all this, I, this is my message for most of like I cuz I see this is my like will be like my last little parting gift to your viewers and to the audience that watches this is that the time that you have available to you cuz when it comes really down to it and I say this as somebody who's lived a lot of life, I've been very well off, I've been very broke, I've been everywhere in between. The thing that you cannot replace is time, right? Time is something that you want to make, you want to feel like you're using in a valuable way. And for me, I see lots of people who are probably close to your age, maybe a little older, maybe a little younger, and they say, well, I'm a music producer and I have a day job. And when I come home, I am so exhausted from my day job that I cannot find the energy to make music. It feels like a chore to me. And to that, I say, 
that that's a load of crap. Because I know that those same guys, because I was there once, I was a single guy in my early 20s, when I could have been coming home and learning how to record better or learning how to track or learning how to sing better or writing songs, I was... I won't maybe say this is exactly me, but I know for a fact that if you tell a young 20-year-old guy that there's a bar across town and there's a possibility that there's someone there that he can go home with, that guy will go out on a Tuesday night to the crappiest dive bar in town and get all dressed up and spruced up and he'll trim his beard and he'll make sure he smells nice just to go out and hang out until 2.30 in the morning at a bar to possibly go home with someone and then show up at work the next day being like, oh man, I was out late last night, but man, it sure was worth it. It's like, dog, if you took that drive and put it towards the thing that you say that you like to do, even half of that, you'd be so much further along. You would get closer to the goal that you want. People will make the time for things that they deem valuable to them. My children are very valuable to me. I like spending time with them. We go to the park. We go on walks. We go on drives. We go everywhere and we do things. They're valuable to me. My wife is valuable to me. We spend time working on our relationship and talking about our marriage and doing all of that. That's very valuable to me. Music is valuable to me. I make time to do it. That's just the way that it is. You know, I I know that doesn't sit well with a lot of people who are going to say, well, you need proper amounts of sleep and this and that and this and that. And I'm like, yeah, dude, I get it. I understand Dude, that this this idea. I, I still is not almost get. I like. There's a lot of times where I will go sleep deprived, but like, I'm still able to take on a fair amount of projects and get them all back in a reasonable amount of time. Work sixty hours at a day job and get eight hours of sleep. There's like, ways to do it, and like, it, mind you, this is coming from the kid who almost failed high school, like. If I can do that, most people can do it. And it's just about figuring out what works for you. Years ago, whenever I, you know, I was 18, 19, 20, like, I didn't think that that was possible because I didn't understand the uh, the process, right? I didn't love the process yet. And so I would come up with excuses, you know? But, you know, Friday night, I would go to my friend's party and I would show up to work the next day like it was nothing. And it's like, I could have been doing that with music. I could have been a lot better off right now. <laughs> yeah, you and you me know? both. And but I, that's, my, that's my parting advice, I guess, is like, find the thing that makes you the best that you can be at creating. Yep. And then just do it. There's no, like, there's no manual for how to kickstart yourself into gear. There is no way for me to motivate you. Like, because people could look at me, people could watch this and be like, well, what does this guy know? Like, I don't know who this guy is. Uh, But you know what? The process that I've done with this, sacrificing sleep, doing the things that I have to do in order to make my thing happen has worked for me. And And I think another important thing to add on to that is, you know, while you are making sacrifices to get work done, whenever you have free time, you use it. Like, I see how much you love cooking. Oh, yeah. Like, that is definitely a love for you. And I, I could tell that whenever you're you know, making your favorite dishes that that is your happy place. That is your self-care. Like it, life is all about balance, you know? And sometimes whenever we take too much from ourselves, we have to then take the time to give it back. 
The other thing I will say about balance, and this is also from my buddy Billy Decker, and this is why he was able to get so fast. He tells this story about being in a studio and being a mixing engineer, and he would go in at like 10 o'clock in the morning, wouldn't get home until midnight. And his wife was like, but you can't be doing that because we have kids at home. They need to see you. They need to have a dad. So he figured out the fastest way to get things done. So then he's like, yep, I go in at like nine o'clock and I leave by five and I'm home for my kids. I'm home for dinner. That's the exact thing that I would tell you is that once you start balancing things out in other parts of your life, the other parts start getting better. If you've got a not good professional life, you're going to suffer at home. If you've got a not good home life, you're going to suffer in your professional life. You have to sort them out. And then that's when the calls start coming in. And that's when the checks start getting written. And that's where the money starts happening. That's where your happiness can come from is from having a good mix of both, you know, but there's no manual for that. You have to figure out, you have to figure out what that means to you and the best way to do it. I've, I have found mine, you know, if what I say helps somebody, I hope that it does, you know, if it doesn't and you're just like, Hey, who's this dude? Then okay, cool. I did my job then too, because Josh asked me to be here. So I, that's just where I'm at. But, you know, but, <laughs> well, but yeah, I really appreciate you having me on. It was a real pleasure to get to talk with you. Yeah, like this. No problem. I, I feel bad. We didn't on. even, yeah, I was just going to say that we're going to have to have you on again because like we didn't even talk about all the typical things that we talk about with our guests and, uh, you know, it'll be cool diving more into the different things that you've done and where you're heading and all that cool stuff. So absolutely. You know, I'm sure that a bunch of awesome things are going to drop between now and then. So I'm very excited. Well, don't be a stranger, man. Like I said, I'm down to, I'm down to do it whenever, you know, I'd be more than happy to do it. And if anybody, any of your people feel like reaching out, ask any questions about what I do, because we have talked a little bit about what I do as far as like sound design and writing and producing you know they can they feel free to find me you know if you know josh or you know andrew they know where to find me dude drop your insta handle it's at warner music you can see my work there um and you can go to warnermusic.com and you can find it there it's w-a-r-i-n-e-r music.com and that has everything you need that's where my youtube is you can find my instagram if i'm my facebook and all that or if you just want to find me online, just Gregory Warner on Facebook. You just let's be friends. Send me pictures of your cats. I don't care. Like I wanna, I wanna see floofs. Cat photos are always the best. So absolutely. On that note, dude, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And that's it for this episode of the Home Studio Hangout Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, please check us out on your favorite podcasting platform. Leave a review. It helps the show so much. Uh, kind of get out there for new people to find. Uh, if you want to watch this, if you aren't already, uh, check us out on YouTube by searching Home Studio Hangout. Uh, and thank you so much again for giving us your time and your attention. And remember, keep on creating. <laughs>